Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. But here's a question for Democrats, because you hear the president now, you know, a lot on a lot of topics, and this one inc- inc- included, you know, looking back to previous administrations, uh, well, they, they should have done more, right? And so as so many people in this country are certainly outraged by the cages and the thermal blankets and the facilities housing these kids, you know, they were all there in 2014 under President Obama. And my question to you, Senator Baldwin, is did you speak up against them then? You know, on the on this issue that we get into a moment where we're making progress and then when it uh, when it stalls uh, we turn around I think we all need to continue to be focused on it and press it through the American people need confidence that we can solve problems nobody believes that we have uh, an immigration system that works it is broken it needs fixing but we've just got to resolve to do that but were you worried about it then? Did you raise your voice under the Obama administration? You know, in numbers of cases, usually uh, I remember a constituent who was in detention at the border, uh, arguably uh, very inappropriately. Um, and we, uh, you know, we raised our voice in that instance and many others. But that's, uh, we've got to do this now in unison. It's not enough to do it case by case or senator or house member by house member. We've got to resolve to fix this issue. Uh, okay. Welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> Stacey Washington, host of Stacey and right here on Urban Family Talk. And you're just listening to uh, Tammy Baldwin. She's talking to Brooke um, uh, over at CNN, and they're talking about uh, whether or not she actually called out the Obama administration for the same kinds of violations that... And when I say violations, that's their language. This is the ever-evolving English language, according to the Democrats, where they decide what means what and when it matters. This kind of behavior, kids sleeping in the little tinfoil outdoor uh, blankets, kids sleeping on the floor, kids being separated from their parents because the parents aren't really their parents or we couldn't verify it as as Department of Homeland Security and, and all of that. That was never a problem under the Obama administration. In fact, so much so that they kept their objections to it private. And that's why President Obama switched the policy. That's right. That's why he started releasing these people into the United States, because they spoke to him about this privately. They didn't make a big media expose about it. The reason they're doing this to Donald Trump is, well, okay, Trump, Trump derangement syndrome. We, they hate Trump. They hate him so much. They, just the sound of his name sends them into fits and convulsions. They're wrecking back and forth and sucking wind through their teeth, and they're losing their stuffing because Trump, every time they hear his name, they, they lose it. Eyes roll back in the head. They start foaming at the mouth. They're losing their minds. Also, IG report. Also, economy booming. Also, the IRS has just announced they're going to roll out the 1040EZ on a postcard. Just like he promised. All the campaign stuff coming true. They also rolled out the new announcement today for government consolidation and removal of, re- of waste. We're going to get into that a little bit. So what's on the show today? Well, we're going to continue to talk about this immigration issue. We're also going to speak with Demetrius Minor, Director of Coalitions for Americans for Prosperity, Florida. And then in hour two, we're going to speak to Cesar Grijales. He is... Uh, coalition's director for the Libra Institute. He's going to come on and talk to us about immigration. So uh, jam-packed program. 
Right now, I want to listen to something interesting from Stuart Varney. He's commenting on the extreme language being used by media types, uh, namely the comparisons to the Holocaust, Rachel Maddow on her show forcing out. I mean, she literally was like giving birth. She had to squeeze tears out of her eye ducts to try to act as if the hearing that children are being separated from their so-called parents is a problem to such a degree that she could not maintain her composure on the air. Uh, So, you know, we've all been there, discussed something that made us want to cry, but come on. Okay. Okay. So what we're looking at is the demonization of an entire administration because their original plan didn't work. The Russia collusion narrative was meant to give the FBI people who were working in the deep state an opportunity to take down Donald Trump, except it didn't work. They expected him to be dirty and to have a whole lot of things in his background that all they had to do was tap into the Trump Towers, look at his emails, read his business transactions. That's all they had to do. And if they would do that and find something, then they'd be able to get rid of him and the whole mistake would be over. Except he's not dirty. Except they didn't find anything. Except he didn't collude with Russians. Except they're finding that there are some people who had some issues from before they ever knew Donald Trump. But for the most part, they just haven't found anything. Nothing actionable. So now they have to demonize him at the home front, at the southern border. But I'm telling you, this will not work. The reason this doesn't work is because Americans are now learning about the sheer numbers, 87,000 in one year, people, well, children, just children, released into the United States. They're, They're starting to calculate that cost. Now they're understanding why every time you go to the Walmart, just out here, we live west, we live in the suburbs, and even further out into the suburbs is a big, huge shopping area. And the Walmart out there has just recently changed over so that now if you want to buy something, you have to select English. This has never been the case before. Now, on the inner ring, they have the select English button. I Honestly, I can't tell you that there are that many Hispanic people living here that don't speak English that we need to be able to select English or select Espanol. Americans are counting the cost. Why is your child getting so much? It's drummed into them. They need to have uh, Spanish as a second language. Why is it that everywhere you look, things are being retrofitted so that it's like America slash Mexico? And why are our taxes going up for education, but we're getting less out of it for public schools? Because ESL, that's why. ESL teachers cost the same amount of money as a regular standard teacher, sometimes more because it's a specialized area. So you have to hire all of these teachers who are English as a second language teachers to teach all of these kids who don't speak English, English. And they have to teach it to them in their own language, obviously. So they have to speak the Guatemalan or the whatever that these kids are coming from El Salvador, whatever. Yes. Yes, friends, counting the cost. I predict this backfires on the Democrats. It looks really great right now because they got Donald Trump to yield to the trap that they executed. It was nothing but a trap. They knew that if he wrote an executive order, it wouldn't work because the Flores decision is a legal decision. Executive orders do not erase case law. Now that the Flores decision has been decided and appealed and decided again, the only thing that can fix it is congressional action or for the, uh, the judge who oversaw the case to vacate a part of her ruling or to make an adjustment to it. Now, what do you think the chances of that are? Pretty slim. The Democrats knew that, but they wanted him to do an executive order. Now that the Democrats have watched a lot of President Obama's legacy be dismantled through the pen and the phone, 
the pen and the phone legacy, it gets erased pretty easily. It's like backspace, backspace, delete, 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 boom, done, no more. So they want Donald Trump to stop trying to get law passed because they know law is much, much more difficult to get rid of. And they want him to do the pen and the phone. And then they want to win in 2020 and have their guy come in and erase what Donald Trump has done. The good news here is that that tax reform legislation is actual legislation. The sunset provisions are just the devil, but you take what you can get. And a lot of what President Trump has been doing has been legislative or it's been through governmental controls that come in through the executive. And if these changes are made correctly, they'll 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 last. But the Democrats are waking up to just how much they did not get done permanently because they had a pen and phone pen and phone president. They're even saying it. He has a pen. He has a phone. He should make something happen. Anytime the Democrats start suggesting ways that you can get something done, your radar should be up and you should be hitting your brakes, backing up, reassessing the situation. So Stuart Varney is talking about the extreme language and how someone could get killed because uh, you might have heard that Pete Fonda, the brother of Jane Fonda, he has a movie coming out. He's, he's a small time actor. He's had a couple of films. He has a movie coming out with Sony Pictures and it comes out, I think, tomorrow and in preparation for that, he went on to an immigration tirade where he called for a lot of people to be imprisoned, kidnapped, raped, uh, the son of the president to be kidnapped and fed to pedophiles to be stored in a cage. Uh, the Secret Service was called, obviously, by Mrs. Trump. And we discussed this a little bit on the show yesterday. But there's something more that's being done. We've seen over and over again leftists, when they make the clarion call for craziness, some wacko out in the, in the hinterlands will answer someone will actually do something based on this horrible rhetoric that they don't get fired for. They don't lose their movies for. They don't lose their credibility for. The same thing that took down the radio host here in St. Louis, Jamie Allman, the same kind of tweet that he sent that he lost his TV and radio show over. Here we are. This guy, Jane Fonda's brother, he sent a tweet. He sent three tweets, much worse than the ones that Jamie Allman issued. He only had one. And this guy's lost nothing so far. He hasn't even had his Twitter account suspended. So let's listen to Stuart Varney talk about this. Here's a quote from Rush Limbaugh. If the media keeps this up, they're going to get somebody killed. How about that? Well, he's right. In my opinion, the language used in the immigration debate has been so extreme that it does indeed encourage violence. Nazi, concentration camps, child internment camps, slave labor... We'd heard all of them used. The people using these words should think very carefully about what they're doing. A disagreement on immigration should not be an excuse to label your opponent as the most despicable human being on earth. They're fighting words, and they will be used to justify violence. The left doesn't need much encouragement. Tuesday night, a socialist mob ambushed the Homeland Security Secretary. It was ugly. And one of the activists was an employee of the Department of Justice, can you believe? The thug-like Antifa organization is now tweeting the names of ICE agents. Occupy Wall Street, remember them? They promote the killing of ICE agents in a gory cartoon. Let's be clear what's going on here. The left and their media allies are whipping up hysteria. It's based on hate, hatred for our president. It's wrong and it's dangerous. It's a terrible thing for America. It is. And it's it's um, it's depressing and it makes you feel as if 
you are in bizarro world. It's as if you don't have a way to stop this. It's, it's a kind of madness. It feels like it feels as if something is happening and you want to, you want to find a way to have conversations and, you know, there, there are always going to be disagreements in politics and in culture and in um, everyday living. There are always going to be disagreements, but it's kind of hard to respect people who routinely take this kind of language. This is their means of discourse. Now, remember, um, it was when they go low, we go high. You know, any little comment by a conservative is just, you know, beyond the pale. And then they take the, you know, the stiff, well, we're better than that. But they're not. Kathy Griffin has forever changed the Trump family with her representation of Donald Trump with his, with his head decapitated, covered in blood. You know how she changed their family? She changed their family by terrorizing their son. So, you know, Melania Trump in her late 40s, Donald Trump in his 70s. These are adults. They can deal with that kind of imagery. But could a 12-year-old kid who sees his father with the head, a representation of the father decapitated, can he deal with that? Do we know if he has nightmares about it? Do we know what kind of conversations he's had about the fear that he has about his father's safety? The questions about why people can't disagree with him without wanting him dead? Now, this is every president nowadays. President Obama had to deal with the same kinds of ridiculous, malicious attacks when he was the president. But no one dared hold up what looked like a severed head of him because that would have been, you know, the ultimate faux pas for the first black president. And that would have been a career ender. And it has been a career ender for Kathy Griffin. She continues to degrade into lower and lower forms of verbal attacks and, and profanity and all of that. But it's that kind of thoughtless representation that many on the left have defended that calls into question whether or not leftism is a political ideology or a slavish replacement for true religion and true faith in God and true honest allegiance to principles and ideals. You know, all of those things fail anyway. As much as I, I, I respect and am appreciative of the Constitution and of conservatism and the Republican Party platform, I think those are all great. But the fact is they all fail because they're subject to our human frailty. They're subject to Kathy Griffin and Jane Fonda's brother. The only thing that's not subject to us is the word of God. And if we don't grip onto that and start really addressing how we're communicating, We're going to continue to see ourselves become more and more animalistic in our dealing with each other. And it's ridiculous and sinful. When we get back, we'll have Demetrius Minor with us. Stay tuned. everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, we only go to the Holy Land once a year, and that's in March. Last year, we filled up several months in advance. So if you want to go in March of 2019, it's time to look at the details. 
You can get a brochure from us at 800-FAMILIES, 1-800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your telephone number, or go to twholyland.com, twholyland.com. It's going to be a wonderful time in Israel. We'll go to the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Holy City of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Masada, the Dead Sea, and on and on the list goes. If you'd like to go with us in March of 2019, all the information is available at twholyland.com. Order a brochure by calling 800-FAMILIES, option 5. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I know a 14-year-old boy whose mom is a single parent. Unfortunately, this young man has hit a lazy stretch in the road. Lately, he seems to be satisfied with doing the bare minimum. Recently, his grades dropped and his mom put her foot down. She took away a lot of his privileges and placed him under some pretty stringent accountability, ultimately for his own good. Good for her. Some of us are lazy adults because in our formative years, we were allowed to do what we felt like doing. Little did we realize that not living responsibly had damaging results in our lives. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 has some strong words to say about laziness. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. In these verses are three steps to overcoming laziness. One is identify your responsibility like the ant does. Number two, map out how you are going to meet your obligations. This is what I'm responsible for. Now let me figure out how I need to go about this. Then number three, remember that to a large degree, the outcome of your life is determined by your response. It's not a matter of what you want. It's a matter of what you're willing to do. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. There is a cure for laziness, and it's really not all that complicated or heavy. The cure is doing what you don't want to do. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Okay, welcome back to the show here on Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio. And guess what? I have to say, um, I really appreciate those spots by Crawford Loritz. That is one brainy dude. He really, I mean, he's wise. He's really wise. And then um, I wanted to also point you guys over to StacyOnTheRight.com where I've been putting up the spots that I'm doing now on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And if you thought they were good or if you maybe you missed one, um, they're on my YouTube channel and they're also over at StacyOnTheRight.com where you can click and it's it's nothing for you to watch. It's just a logo, but it's a 60 second spot where we cover a, a subject. And um, I have some new ones in the in the pipeline and we've been working really hard. Um, my, my producer and also Jason has been helping me out with these, getting them recorded and everything. So I'm really appreciating all of that. Um, so it's my pleasure to now welcome frequent guest of the program and associate producer of the Stacey on the Right Show. Demetrius Miner, who's the director of coalitions for Americans for Prosperity, Florida. <laughs> Demetrius, thanks for coming on. <laughs> hey, Stacey, how are things going? 
Pretty well. Um, it's it, There's a lot going on, but mainly I'm dying to hear about what's going on in Florida with um, the the Koch brothers. And, um, you know, it, do you have a check for me in the mail? Because I, I hear I work for the Koch brothers, and I but I never get paid, so I don't understand. Yeah. I don't want to give your hopes up. I do not have a check for you in the mail. Oh, man. That's, you know, that seems a little rough. That's not the best way to come into the show. Sorry. <laughs> well, I think, I think uh, I'll be honest. Okay. Um, but this, this past weekend, I spent some time in Orlando uh, with my lovely friends in the press. Um, and I, of course, I say that a little facetiously, but uh, I spent some time with a reporter, reporter um, that's flown into Florida from New York with CNBC, and mm. he wanted to cover um, a story on the ground, a grassroots effort, a candidacy, um, us getting the message out about important issues. Those issues are tax reform, how citizens, um, how Floridians feel about uh, their, their elected officials supporting the omnibus bill. Um, they think that Washington has a spending problem. So he had a chance to see firsthand uh, why the Koch brothers uh, perceive Florida to be a very crucial state in getting their message out. Hmm. Okay. So I, I actually have a lot of respect for the Koch brothers. I disagree with them a bit on their libertarian uh, take on immigration, but I don't have to agree with someone 100% to appreciate the work that they do. And I do think that the Koch brothers have a very effective strategy of mobilizing people, offering educational options so people can kind of find out more about entrepreneurship or um, different types of governance. And then what they do is they kind of let people loose on their own. It's not really as nefarious as because the comparison is Koch brothers on the right, Soros on the left. And really, that's not a, a fair comparison. Sure, absolutely. One of the things that we also um, tell in the tell people about our network is that uh, we stand with those who are right. So regardless if it's uh, immigration, regardless if it's um, the economy, regardless if it's spending, um, if it's dealing with economic issues, if it's dealing with national security issues, um, regardless of what that person's political label may be, what I mean by that is, is regardless if they have a D or an R, Behind their name, if they're willing to work with us, work with us. If they're willing to partner with us to help us create a more freer and open society, uh, we certainly are willing to uh, sit down at the table with them. Yeah, I love that. I actually think it's an easier way to get things accomplished if you're willing to work with people who agree with you on an issue. We've seen that here in our state, here in Missouri, um, and when we do have Americans for Prosperity offices here as well. And what we found is that there are Democrats who on specific issues like education and uh, government reform, they will not just step across the aisle. They'll run across to join in on legislation that impacts Missourians because they really care deeply for their constituents. Now, on other issues, it's a tooth and nail battle. But when they have an opportunity to do so, they will cross the aisle and happily work with Republicans on things that help their constituents. And so I think it's a smart strategy. You mentioned the piece that uh, Brian Schwartz wrote. Uh, it's over at CNBC.com. And he starts off like second paragraph, Americans for Prosperity runs 13 offices in the state of Florida. And he he then goes on, next paragraph down, he, he talks about... Um, how difficult, even though 
AFP says they work with anyone, how difficult some of the policy hurdles will be for Democrats in the midterms because of the it's a, a huge presence that AFP has in the state of Florida. Sure. So the state of Florida, AFP, just released a couple of weeks ago uh, our scorecard. In each state um, that AFP is featured in should, should already have one or should have one coming out um, in the near future. What the scorecard does, Stacey, is that it takes every elected representative, state senator and state representative, and it gives them a, a grade from A to F on how they voted in terms of economic freedom, liberty, fiscal issues, and it gives the voters an opportunity to see how their elected officials voted on the issues that matter most for them. And so there's Republicans and Democrats who have A and B ratings. There's also Republicans and Democrats who have below a C rating. So it just it varies from representative to representative, from district to district. But it's a good tool for the voter to have so they, they, that they can not only become educated on the issue, but that they become educated on how their representative is voting. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to voters um, during uh, our canvassing efforts, and we ask them, okay, for example, here in Florida, are you pleased with the way that Senator Rubio and Senator Nelson voted on X, Y, Z. And sometimes they're candid with us and saying, well, I, I haven't really followed. I'm not really aware of their record. Well, the good thing with the AFP scorecards is that it helps citizens become aware of their record so that they that when they step into the ballot booth uh, this coming November, um, they'll be sure to know how to vote and how to hold their officials accountable. So this is an education and outreach effort. It's not just about specific issues that AFP is trying to move the ball on. It's also about informing the voters before the actual election occurs, and you're getting started early. Well, absolutely. An informed citizen becomes an empowered citizen. So the more information that a citizen can have, um, the more likely they are um, to hold that um, elected official um, accountable. So, for example... One of our big issues is tax reform. And many of the people that we're talking to, when we ask them, hey, are you in support of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed in December of 2017? And we tell them what that is. And then they, they tell us, yes, it's common sense that people will want more money in their pocket. And they tell us about the bonuses that they've received, the additional income that has come in, and how that additional income has helped them buy more groceries, plan for a vacation that they haven't had in years, and do various things that's going to help them and their families. When they tell us this, then we're able to communicate with them on how their representatives voted or did not vote um, for tax reform. That's a big issue here in the state of Florida, and we're confident that we're going to see that um, communicated um, in November. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other priorities for AFP for the fall as it pertains to uh, voter education. You mentioned the tax reform bill. That's a biggie. Um, I really think one of the, the most interesting dynamics that I've seen play out is that the Democrats have openly admitted that they want to increase taxes. And that is so antithetical to people 
like voting for them. Because if you just got a bonus and you have more in your paycheck, even if it's $40 every two weeks, that's money that they're saying as soon as they're elected, if you give them your vote, they're going to take it away. So I don't understand why they're running on that, but they are. What are some of the other issues that AFP is educating and, and reaching out for? Well, of course, there's right to try um, that was just passed by um, the House and Senate. And then um, criminal justice reform um, is also a big issue. Um, my colleague, Diego, came on a couple weeks ago to talk about the Mission Act um, and how that gives veterans more choices um, as far as health care. Um, that was recently signed by the president. Uh, my colleagues will be coming on in the next hour to discuss with you um, our stance on immigration and DACA, which will be a very pressing issue um, come November, especially if Congress at that time has not come up with a legislative um, solution um, to try this. Um, there are some other state and local issues um, that are important. Um, school choice, obviously, is very important. Uh, but federally, we're looking at um um, hopefully um, getting the ball moving forward on criminal justice reform, um, right to try. And um, as we've always been, um, legislation that decreases the size of government, makes government small and effective, and promotes economic liberty for all. So speaking of making government smaller, did you see that today is the announcement that uh, the president has issued his Delivering Government Solutions in the 21st Century, a reform plan and reorganization recommendations for consolidating departments in the federal government and making sure that their operations are not duplicated and thereby making them more efficient. Does AFP have a policy on that or a position on that? Yeah, I have not seen that, um, but this is um, um, from the little bit that you just told me. This definitely sounds very promising. Um, obviously, this sounds like something that's going to uh, probably have to go through the legislative process. But if the Congress that we currently have, if they're serious about um, decreasing government, um, then it seems like they're going to become allies of AFP. And what I mean by that is that we're in the favor of decreasing bureaucracy, um, getting rid um, of needless regulation. Um, that puts a burden on the taxpayer, that puts a burden on small business owners. And so that's something that we're definitely willing to look at. And if it's something that benefits the people, then absolutely we'll be on board with that. Well, what I've done is I just shot you an email with the entire announcement in it with the attachment so you can take a look at it because I actually think it's going to be something that dovetails in with your agenda uh, goals for, for the fall. But you first have to take a look at it and, and perhaps you can come back on and talk about the connections that are available uh, between the administration and, and the goals that, that AFP has. Um, so I wanted to just, as we, as we close out the interview, there's been a lot of discussion about Florida and the kind of purpling of Florida where it used to be a predictably and consistently red state, but now it is much more um, like there are certain areas that lean heavily democratic and the right. state has also recently been labeled as leaning Democratic by Laro, Larry Sabato's crystal ball. Um, and so it talks a little bit about that in the piece that you referenced on CNBC. Where do, where do you guys see that going? Is it, is it going to go blue or what, what, are, you, what are you hoping? What, what's the plan? You know, Florida is a very different state. 
and as we found out from previous election cycles, um, including the 2016 election with all the experts and all the pollsters um, were pretty much um, expecting um, Hillary Clinton to win the state, and it didn't come. It didn't turn out that way. But what was interesting is that even though Donald Trump won the state of Florida, Marco Rubio actually garnered more votes than he did. So um, Florida is very hard to predict. Um, with that said, just um, just because of some of the data we've seen and because of certain districts and how diverse they are in terms of demographics. Um, it's very hard to predict, but we do, we do foresee an uphill battle um, in the midterm election, and that's uh, <clears throat> on the federal level and also on the state level. Uh, the, the, the outlook of the Florida Senate and the Florida House is going to look different from when I was there just this past January to March. So there's going to be some changes there, and uh, we just don't know the degree of what those changes are going to look like. But we're we're prepared to engage in an uphill battle um, for those who align with our principles. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. Um, hopefully, the predictions won't be as accurate, or maybe they'll be as accurate as everyone was in 2016, which means they won't be accurate at all. <laughs> we can always hope and pray. <laughs> Demetrius Minor, Director of Coalitions for Americans for Prosperity Florida. Thank you for joining the show today. Hey, always a pleasure to be with you. All right. Thanks, Demetrius. Um, so we have uh, quite a bit more to get through. I wanted to, We I think we have a minute left. Um, I want to go out with Tucker Carlson talking about the Democrats whipping supporters in a mindless rage on immigration to get people to obey. Oh, no time. Okay, we'll come back in with it when we get back from the break. Um, I, I got to say, I, I agree with him. And, and it's not because he's railing against Democrats. It's because the rhetoric has reached a fever pitch and it's becoming something that's detrimental to the discourse. Uh, you, could, you could say, well, you know what, Stacey, it's been that way for at least the entirety of the Obama presidency. And I hated that, too. I think we have to calm it down. We really do. If, if, if we were someplace and people were talking to each other this way and it was in person, we would either call a security guard or we'd ask the manager to come over and break it up. We would try to break it up ourselves. If not ourselves, we would probably call the police. We would not permit people to talk to each other this way in person, in public. But online, it's like... It's, not, it's worse than the Wild Wild West. Even they had standards. So we'll get into that a little bit more. And your calls if you want, 866-963-2037. Be right back. is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. At Tampa Bay, we adopted a mantra, no excuses, no explanations. 
The team had spent so much time living in the past, captive to their circumstances and to other people's low expectations, that they needed to learn that we were not going to be victims any longer. The same can be said for a marriage. Some say marriage is 50-50. For Tony and me, it's 100-100. We try not to give excuses or say, that's not my job. Everyone on a team or in a marriage has a contribution to make in building a winning team or a winning marriage. Marriage is hard work, but if you commit to it without excuses, it can be the greatest thing in life. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Romans 13, 14 says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. So what are you clothing yourself with? Whether we realize it or not, what we allow in our temples affects our way of living. We can't feed ourselves junk and expect to hear from the Lord. Clothe yourself with the righteousness of God at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Did you know that the Centers for Disease Control did a study on defensive gun use by Americans? Probably not because the report destroys gun control talking points. A Florida State University criminologist didn't know either and did his own analysis which showed that Americans used guns to successfully defend themselves against attackers over 2.2 million times a year. This number is based upon an unweighted nationally representative sample of over 12,000 individuals. Data from the CDC confirms this result. In fact, CDC data proves Americans used firearms to defend themselves 3.6 times more often than perpetrators utilized firearms to attack them. This information was kept private by the CDC because it doesn't support the gun grabber's mantra that all guns are bad. Instead of hiding data, let's spread the truth far and wide. Lawful gun owners use weapons to defend themselves and others millions of times every year. Sounds like gun control to me. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Earlier today, President Trump bowed to his critics and signed an executive order intended to halt the separation of illegal immigrant families at the border. Now, if you really believe the hysteria of this last week was about keeping immigrant children with their parents, then you probably assume Democrats are thrilled about this. They got what they demanded. They ought to be celebrating tonight, but they're not. They're still angry. Senator Kamala Harris of California tweeted this, quote, This executive order doesn't fix the crisis. Indefinitely detaining children with their families in camps is inhumane and will not make us safe. Meanwhile, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut apparently dialed into the same talking points call. His response sounded eerily similar to his colleagues. Here's what he said, quote, Indefinitely imprisoning children and their families is still inhumane and ineffective law enforcement. Well, by now, you probably realize that, like most debates in Washington, this was never really about what they claimed it was about. They never are. The left doesn't believe that America has the right to stop poor people from coming over our southern border under any circumstances, legal or not. 
Okay, most voters disagree with that. Either way, it would be nice to have an honest national debate about all of this before the midterm elections. That would help everybody. That's the last thing Democrats want, though, because they would lose that debate. So rather than have it, they're whipping their supporters into a frenzy of mindless rage. You've seen it on cable television for the last week. That is, of course, the surest way to short-circuit rational thinking and conversation and get people to obey. Welcome back to Stacy on the Ride here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you for being with us today. It's Thursday, so Friday Eve, we meet again. Yes, so we're, uh, we're, we're moving through the program here, and I have to say, you know, Tucker Carlson, he's often, you know, kind of the tip of the spear on thoughtful analysis about what's what's happening with our news and, and media. And because of that, I just noticed over at Mediaite, they've now launched an attack against him saying, you know, what's happened to him? What do you mean what's happened to him? He's telling the truth. Uh, it, it, the, the truth is such a dangerous thing because it can literally drive people into a rage. And that's what we're seeing. Now, let's pivot over to the IG report and notice how I'm talking about it every day. The reason I'm talking about it every day is because the point to this immigration discussion, besides the demonization, further demonization of President Trump as some kind of mindless racist who's somehow related to Hitler, is that the distraction tactic, it works. The national news media can't have pundits on to argue about the IG report. They're not live streaming the hearings where Trey Gowdy and Representative Jordan are just, you know, they're really putting the IG's feet to the fire over his continual insistence that the bias did not impact the result of the prosecutor's decision on whether or not to move forward against Hillary Clinton or not. And one thing that's not being discussed anywhere is the fact that President Obama at the time knowingly communicated via email with this homebrew server. He knew it was homebrewed. He knew it was outside of what is allowed. He communicated with her anyway. And I can tell you it was a while. It's been a while since I've been on active duty. But I remember how strenuously they pointed out to us that let's say you're 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 the innocent party. Someone is communicating with you on something that's insecure, that it's actually your job to look on the reply and see if I hit reply, does this go just to this person or does it go to a bunch of people that are not in the, the, the security clearance, they don't, they don't have clearance to view this information. Your responsibility, once it comes to you, if you reply, now you have responsibility as well. In other words, the line of classification, the, the line of, of how it's moving, who has custody of the information, once you take custody of the information, it is your responsibility to make sure maybe it went out to a bunch of insecure places, but then it comes to you. You're supposed to act as that stopgap where you say, whoa, we can't keep communicating on this on this email. You're emailing me from an unsecure location. I need you to cease this email thread and reinitiate from your secure email. That's your responsibility. It, it's certainly the responsibility of someone in such a high and lofty position as the president of the United States, especially when you know that. So the president has his email, but he also has all of these aides and people who assist him with it, because there's no way the president of the United States can accurately keep track of all of the email that comes into him. That's why there are different departments who handle these things. So he's emailing back and forth directly with the secretary of state, the head of a government agency. 
And he never noticed that she was emailing him from an unsecure uh, email account. We know that he noticed because he used an alias. He used an outside email account that he had that had a different name on it to communicate back and forth with her, but not always. So he participated. And the, the end goal here is to protect him. That's what's so interesting about it, that everyone keeps talking about it. Even I have about how Hillary Clinton is untouchable, but it's not really that she's untouchable. It's that Obama is so untouchable that no one's even mentioning the fact that he's participated in this act and that he, too, violated the Records Act. So you got Representative Jim Jordan. He's questioning Inspector General Horowitz. And they're talking about... um, Well, kind of laying out the whole thing, but it was a fascinating exchange between the two of them at December 6th. The gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Jordan, is recognized. Mr. Horowitz, does Peter Strzok like the president? Um, I can only speak to what his text messages say, and they're obviously not positive comments about the president. February and March of 2016, Peter Strzok said, Trump's abysmal, Trump's an idiot, he's a bleeping idiot, Hillary should win 100 million to zero. Sounds to me like he hates the president. His text messages would certainly leave that as the implication. Your report says Strzok ran the Clinton investigation on a daily basis. Is that accurate? Uh, that's correct. And Peter Strzok, in your report, uh, he was the lead investigator on the Russian investigation. Is that true? That's my understanding for the time period he was on. So the guy, he ran the Clinton investigation, he runs the Russian investigation, and he hates the president. But your report says while his bias cast a cloud, it didn't impact final decisions. Is that accurate? It didn't impact the prosecutor's final decision. Right. Let's look at a few other things Peter Strzok had to say. On May 4th, 2016, the day after President Trump secures the Republican nomination, Mr. Strzok says, now the pressure really starts to finish the Clinton investigation. I'm not sure why the pressure would be more or less the day after. It seems to me you want to just do the investigation. On July 31st, as I mentioned earlier, the FBI opens the Russian investigation. One week later, Peter Strzok says, I can protect my country on many levels. Two days after that, he says, we will stop Trump. One week after that, he says, no way he gets elected. It's like an insurance policy. So that there, there's a lot of information there. A lot of it we've gone over on the program. But he's giving chronological order and, and reading this into basically into testimony, into the record for this committee hearing. And um, Sheila Jackson Lee got a little upset about it and, you know, was not liking the line of questioning that he went into. Um, and, and there's a point to all of this. The Democrats are now gatekeepers to keep this scandal from getting bigger than they can manage. They need it to happen now so that they can quickly nip it in the bud and tuck it into the, back, the background, the rearview mirror, so people aren't still thinking about it and paying attention to it when the midterms roll around. There's also the issue of if, if, so remember, we've had many, many guests on the program, and I always ask them at some point during the interview, when do you think this will be over? At what point do you believe that the inspector general, or not the inspector general, at what point do you believe that the Mueller investigation will wrap up? And all of these experts from Heritage, you name it, Cato, all over, they all say the same thing. They're not sure, but they think that if it's not wrapped up by September, that it will have to last past the midterm elections because they don't want the appearance of the investigation tainting, in other words, an announcement coming out in October and having a negative impact on either political party. 
So it either gets resolved in September well enough before October, November, you know, well enough before the actual voting period, or it lasts through and gets resolved afterwards, which puts it in no man's land if you think about it, because the election will be the second Tuesday in November. And then after that, like before you know it, you'll wake up for, for the from voting the day before. You'll see the election results. And then before you know it, it's Thanksgiving. And then the time in between Thanksgiving and Christmas is really no man's land for getting anything done. You know this. You, you don't make huge announcements during that time of year because everyone's busy working towards getting to Christmas, getting to vacation time, getting gifts, getting um, going to events, attending parties, really just kind of checking out a little bit. They're still working, but it's 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 not an optimal time to wrap up an investigation. So that means, honestly, unless they're planning on making some kind of announcement that they want to be drowned out by the holidays, then that means you're looking into January of next year, which really makes Mueller look bad. It makes the Democrats look like it's even more than a witch hunt than it is. It's, it's, it's not good. So it looks more and more likely, especially with the information that we're seeing now about how tainted the investigation is, how they're, one of their chief witnesses, which would be FBI Director Comey, he now has zero credibility. He's smashed. There's no way they're calling him as a credible witness, not, not the Mueller investigation. They're not going to do that. So with all of that going on, especially since he's under investigation himself and may soon face indictments or charges of his own. So now, now we're looking at you know, just trying to wrap it up quickly and quietly in the dead of night, which is why this immigration story is probably something they've had in their back pocket. They have to have. Look at the timeline, you guys. Look, look, listen, listen to what I'm saying to you here. You've got the same kinds of family separations happening under the Obama administration. And he's the one who made the announcement that people who come into the country illegally, we're going to actually listen to that audio top of the next hour. So coming in from this next break, you're going to hear President Obama in his own words say, if you're a kid and you come here to this country, we're going to turn around and deport you because you can't come into the country alone as an unaccompanied minor. We're just not doing that. So he'd already made that announcement. He was turning kids away at the border. He was separating people who weren't related to the people that they brought in, the children. They were stored in different detention centers, and there was still a surge at the border. Then he decided, you know what? There's so many of them, and this looks bad. The Democrats confront him about it in the background, and he says, you know what? We're just going to catch and release. That's what we're going to do. He issues the order all over the place. You guys will remember this. It was all over the radio. All of the biggest radio hosts covered it. It was a national travesty on the right because everyone was saying these people are literally getting put on buses and shipped into the interior of the country never to be seen again only 10 percent of them show up for their immigration hearing 90 percent of the 560,000 people who entered the country between 2013 and now only 10 percent of them have shown up for their hearing out of that 10 percent Five percent of the total are approved for asylum. The rest just stay in the country illegally and meld into the remainder of the illegal immigrant population. So the next time you hear somebody say there are 11 million illegal immigrants in this country, you got to call them on that one. 11 million is the number they've been using for the past 20 years. I still maintain that there are probably more illegal immigrants in this country or approaching the same number as there are black people in this country. 11 million Year after year after year, that number remains static, even in years where we have a million people coming to the country legally and then a, a, a huge number corresponding couple hundred thousand. If it's a couple hundred thousand a year, 
over five years, that's another million people. But the illegal immigration and the porous border has been going on for longer than five years. President Obama was president for eight years. President Trump has been in office for a year and a half. Before that, we had an illegal immigrant problem under George Bush. We've had this problem since Bill Clinton. I've played the audio for you here on the show. Come on, work with me here. These numbers don't add up. If you run a family budget, you know you cannot say, oh, we're still only spending, you know, $75 a a week on groceries. That number, even if you buy the exact same number of items and the, I mean, everything's identical week after week, year after year, you're not going to be spending $70 after 10 years because of inflation, because of different sized items, because the cost at the grocery store that you're shopping at, they've gone up because they have to pay their employees more. And just like that, you have 11 million turning into approaching 40 million. Now, do we have proof of that? Well, that's, the, that's a part of this shell game. They never want you to know exactly how many illegal immigrants are here because if you knew how many were here, you would be much less likely to vote with your feelings and these fake drummed up um, the sound of kids screaming in these detention centers. Well, I don't know about you, but when's the last time you were around a group of kids where one of them didn't start crying? It doesn't mean they're being mistreated. Is, is the child on the airplane with you when you're flying on your flight and that child starts crying? Are they automatically being mistreated? If you're at the grocery store and you see a child start screaming and yelling, are they being mistreated or have they just been told they can't have any candy? Or have they just been told we're leaving, we need to leave the toy department? I mean, let's face it, kids will scream and cry. That's a part of being a kid. It's a form of communication for them. And the pictures that we've seen, the one picture that's gone viral of the little kid with the straight bangs going across, screaming, that picture is actually from a protest that was staged. Most people don't know that because they just see it and they automatically are like, oh, look what we're doing. You know, we have such a horrible history with slavery. We have a horrible history with all these different things. And now, look, we're going down the wrong road again. And that is a natural response to people who have a heart. But you're getting duped. The Democrats are playing you because they don't want you to know how many illegal immigrants are here. And they don't want you to realize that the people who are here illegally are here due in large part to actions taken by the Democrats. And that you're paying for all of it. You have to get into what you're looking at and don't trust it. Don't trust it unless you can verify it for yourself. Because they're pulling the wool over our eyes and they're doing it because they don't want us talking about the IG report. Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and Jim Comey. We'll be back with Hour 2 after this.